0: Welcome to the Adventist Healthcare and You podcast. I'm Shanna, joined with Nimit again. Hello, everyone. Good morning, Nimit. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Uh, and we're also today joined with Dr. Tuesday Cook, who is a bariatric surgeon at Fort Washington Medical Center, Adventist Healthcare Fort Washington Medical Center. And she has been practicing for over 10 years now. So welcome, Dr. Cook. Thank you for coming. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're Welcome we have an interesting topic today. It's all about bariatric surgery, weight loss surgery, and we're just going to talk through what it is, talk about maybe some myths and why it is such an important option for people. So Dr. Cook, um, we've all heard about the obesity epidemic and the rising rates of obesity in the U.S. Talk a little bit about Why that seems to be rising and what it is. You know, there's some misconceptions about, you know, am I overweight? Am I obese? Talk just a little bit about
1: really what obesity is. So it sounds like your question is multifactorial. So I'll start off with what obesity is. Obesity is the increased amount of adipose tissue, adipocytes, or fat cells that a person will have in their body. And because adipocytes are an endocrinologic cell, It causes them to have endocrine issues. And so when you have increased weight or increased adiposity, you know, you see it in a person's cheeks or their arms or their legs or their hips. But not only is it in the periphery, it also is in other locations. It can get stored in the liver. It can get stored in the abdomen. And when these cells are at higher levels, they can cause patients to then have medical problems associated with high amounts of these adipose cells. Okay. Things like type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, leg edema, osteoarthritis or joint pains, um, high cholesterol, so many things that are associated with these inflammatory cells mm-hmm. because they actually are cells that can cause inflammation. And because of that and their endocrine function, that's how it wreaks havoc on the body, causing these, we call them comorbidities or illnesses that are associated with obesity. Okay. Obesity actually, you know, we we describe a person as having obesity as opposed to being obese. I mean, that's in our way from our society and even our national guidelines to try to make sure people understand that obesity is a disease process. It was recognized by the American Medical Association as such years ago. And we want to make sure that people are very much aware of that. Just like a person has cancer or they have hypertension, they have obesity. It is um, usually described in three levels mm-hmm. before you even get to class one obesity, if you are at a BMI between eighteen and twenty four point nine, you are considered to be of an of an, a usual weight, meaning a weight where it's less likely that you're going to develop medical problems. If you're at a BMI, and this is body mass index when I say BMI, so that everyone is clear, yes. body mass index is a ratio of your weight to your height. Mm-hmm. If you're at a BMI of twenty five to then you're in an overweight status so things like diet and exercise maybe even if they wanted to try medications, could help with weight loss. If you're at a BMI of 30 to 35, you're in what we call class one obesity. So we see people with medical problems coming on with class one obesity, especially in patients of um, Eastern descent. So people from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, people who are from China, Malaysia, other you know people from the East, if they start hitting BMIs of even 27 to 30, you know, at thirty-five, they start to develop medical problems. We call it metabolic syndrome. Okay, those are medical problems that start to affect your heart, your kidneys, your your liver. And so, what was that? A BMI class one. Mm-hmm. So class one was. BMI of 30 to 35 or 34.9. Class two is a BMI of 35 to 39.9. And class three then is a BMI of 40 to about 45. After that, we start getting into what we classify as super morbid obesity, meaning there are high amounts of adipose tissue. So you're more likely to have medical problems than, than not. And there are people who have these higher BMIs who don't have the presentation of medical problems as yet, but we know that they're coming. It also decreases their quality of life. It yeah. also decreases their life expectancy. And so this is why we want to treat obesity head on as early as possible to a- avoid the effects that it has on the body later. So and mind. yeah.
0: So what is bariatric surgery? Explain, you know what what all is entailed in in weight loss surgery?
1: So bariatric surgery or metabolic surgery, as we also call it, is surgery that rearranges the anatomy such that we cause a decrease in the amount of adipose cells. But not only that, we also alter the hormones that the body produces. We alter gut hormones. Um, and, you know, there's a brain-gut relationship. Um, so we alter hormones all throughout the body. Things like gastrointestinal peptide, peptide YY, um, glucagon-like peptide one. So these are just some of the hormones that bariatric surgery helps to alter, which then affects the most effective weight loss, the most long-term weight loss and improvement or resolution of medical problems or comorbidities. Like the ones that I mentioned, the top three of the trifecta are things like hypertension, high cholesterol, type two diabetes. Okay. So
0: it's more than just removing a piece of the stomach.
1: It absolutely is. In some cases we don't remove any of the stomach. Okay. Um, You know, Metabolic surgery has so many different options. And then there are some non-surgical options, which we include in it. But the metabolic operations are things like the vertical sleeve gastrectomy, the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, um, the duodenal switch. Those are metabolic operations. There are also things like adjustable gastric band. And then we have other things newer in the armamentarium, SADES and things of that nature. So there are a lot of options. There are some that are most commonly done in the United States and across the world. Mm. Um, But there are many options for bariatric surgery. We really do tailor each option to each patient based on their medical problems, their BMI, um, their medications, all the things that have to do with that particular patient. So it really has changed and improved over the years. It absolutely has. You know, my gosh, Decades ago, we've been doing bariatric surgery since the 1950s. Even to think about it, when you look at the FDA website, mm-hmm. having bariatric surgery is safer than remaining with your obesity. There's lots of data to support it. Mm-hmm. Um, It decreases death by all causes. And, you know, it's as safe as having gallbladder surgery or total knee replacement. And that data is described. You know, you can look in the scientific literature and see it right there. You know, despite the risks that can be associated with bariatric surgery, there are risks associated with every operation. A C-section, a hip replacement, even if you just need some dental work, there are always risks associated. Um, But it is safer to have bariatric surgery than it is to not. Right. Okay. I think it's so
0: important for our listeners to know that, you know, what you said about the risk of being staying with obesity is, is for some cases is more than getting the surgery itself because there's such a stigma towards getting the bariatric surgery.
1: Yes, and I'm glad you talked about that stigma. I have many patients that come to my office or come talk to me and, you know, they cry and they say, you know, my family doesn't want me to have it. They say I'm taking the easy way out and I want people to know it is not the easy way out. Right. If you have your car, and it needed work and you said, hmm, I think I'm just going to fix this on my own. Well, people will say, well, that doesn't make sense. You take it to a mechanic. So when people think that they can fix their medical problems on their own, you know, if somebody said, yeah, I have high blood pressure, but I'm going to fix it on my own. You'd say, well, you're a crazy person. You should go to a specialist that helps to, to treat high blood pressure and that person will help you. Taking your medication is not... A way out. It's not the easy way out, right? Same thing with treating obesity. What people don't understand is that obesity is a multifactorial disease process. It has to do with a genetic component, an anatomical component, a hormonal component. It has to do with socioeconomic status, build environment where you live. There are so many factors to it that it just doesn't make sense to say... If I do the thing that is weight loss surgery, or if I just try to manage this on my own, that it will work. Bariatric surgery has been shown to be, and they can look at the Stampede trial by an author named Phil Shower, but it is shown to be the most effective way to lose weight long term. Even if patients gain back a little bit, the usual is to lose at least 60% of your excess body weight. That is significant. Yeah. you know. And by the time I see people who have come to me saying... They've been told it's the easy way out, and we know it's not because it takes work. Yep. Um, you know, they've been trying diets their entire lives. Some people have been um, suffering from high weight since they were kids, and they have you know family members that are, or some of them have no family members that have obesity except for them. They have been trying to get their weight down since their last or third kid, um, since they stopped playing sports. Some of my CIA or FBI agents, since they've not been out in the field or the football players, since they mm-hmm. haven't been in practice or, or playing on the field. Um, and they've been trying to get the weight down since then. They try so many different diets and so many different exercises and medications. And for for certain levels of obesity, that's just not enough. And so we know that bariatric surgery is what really leads to long term weight loss. So
0: what's the What's it? You go. In there, you go to a minute. nice spirited discussion. <laughs> yes, know. let's get it. <laughs> um, what are some of the What are some of the um, criteria that people should look for? You know, before they consider bariatric surgery.
1: So, you know, we are working currently with the the legislative bodies. Um, We have a legislative portion of my national society that works to help people understand, people in government, the people who make policies. We to, we're trying to work with them to help guide policy in the understanding that even class one obesity should be treated. So remember, I tell you, class one obesity was a BMI of 30 to 35. And so it's, we're not there yet. We're still working at it. And, and I actually think that there was one insurance, I can't remember what state it is, that really did start to look at that that people can develop my, metabolic syndrome at, at lower BMIs. BMIs. Um, but what the insurance companies in the U.S. currently go by is the National Institute's consensus statement of 1991. Now you think 1991, that's really old. We have so much newer data that shows that obesity should be treated from early on, the lower BMIs. But the insurance companies are stuck on this. Right, that's only 30 years ago. <laughs> precisely, yeah. and, so, and that's why we work towards changing these, these policies. But the insurance companies um, want patients to have a BMI of 35 or greater with one to two medical problems. If you remember the things I mentioned, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, obstructive sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, urinary stress incontinence. When people cough or laugh, they urinate a little bit and they'll tell you it only when you ask. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Um, Joint pains, heartburn, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, all these medical problems. So they want patients to have a BMI of 35 or greater with one to two medical problems or BMI 40 and they need not have any medical problems. And it makes you understand, you know, at a BMI 40, we understand that again, life expectancy is lower, quality of life is lower. Even with the patients who have class one and class two obesity, they'll tell you, you know, I can't get down on the floor and play with my kids the same. I wanna be alive for when, you know, my grandkids come. I wanna be able to travel and not ask for a seatbelt extender. I wanna be able to fit, go through a turnstile or fit in a movie theater seat or go on Broadway and, you know, enjoy a a show. hang out with my friends and not feel like I'm being judged when I'm having dinner with them. Um, but so the, ins- the insurance companies want those criteria to be met. So we said BMI of 35 or greater with one to two comorbid illnesses, a BMI of 40, don't have to have any medical problems at all. They can't have any current substance abuse, ongoing alcoholism, ongoing um, illicit drug use, or any uncontrolled mental health problems. So things like severe depression, that's not controlled. Mm -hmm. Schizophrenia, that's not controlled. And I say not controlled several times because I want to make it understood that people who have these problems which are medical problems again, right? We know that substance abuse is a medical problem. We know that mental health disorders are things that we need to treat. But once these things are treated and they're stable, these patients also qualify to have weight loss surgery. It is not a barrier to having the operation that helps to improve their life, both from a medical standpoint and a mental health standpoint.
0: Got it. What's the first step someone should take if they're interested
1: so, you know, just to, to and this is, this is one of the things too, to finish off what the, what the insurance companies want and piggyback right, to, uh, a segue right to that question, the insurance companies also want people to have tried diets in the past and failed. Now, there's no one that has come to me ever in almost two decades that says, oh, I never tried anything. <laughs> this is just my weight. and This is what it is. Everyone has tried calorie counting. I could name some very specific diets that people try and get on and you know they lose weight, they gain more, they lose weight, they gain back more. It, as they get older, it's harder to lose the weight and easier to gain the weight. And even when they start losing weight by doing the same diet and exercise they've been doing for a year, they start to plateau and they can't lose anymore. So, you know, one of the things they want then companies want is for people to have a history of dieting and exercise well that history is always there yeah um, and so I just usually ask patients to try to remember what they've done and I document it as well and I tell mm-hmm. them to try to document it you know what have you tried um, and we use all those things to submit to the insurance company for approval And so your question was what's the first step The first step the first step is getting information people look online and trust Dr. Google and they go to Facebook and all these other sites and listen to the scary stories of which you have to think about it. Squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So Hmm. people complain – when they're, they're having some troubles, and that's a small percentage of patients, but the people who are doing great are outliving their lives. And so I would say, don't just try to skim online and believe the things that you see in these little groups, but get the information from a group. Get the information from a webinar or a seminar given by a surgeon or someone on a bariatric surgery team. Mm-hmm. We know the outcomes. We know the results. We know what it takes to get prepared for bariatric surgery. And so you'll get the, you know, the most accurate information from someone on a bariatric surgery team. For me, I would say, please look at my webinar online, come to one of our live seminars. They're always spirited. They always have a lot of information. You know, the feedback we get is great. Find a bariatric surgery team that you feel comfortable with and that will give you the best information. After that, I would say, make an appointment, meet with someone from the team. It might be the nurse practitioner, it might be the surgeon, um, the dietitian, and they're going to give you the information about how you can start to get ready to consider this. They're going to go through in the visit, the medical problems you have, what operations you've had, the medications you're on, what your lifestyle is like. I always ask patients to write me a letter to tell me, what do you want to do once you lose the weight? Because I love when a year after we've done the operation, we can pull that Letter out and say, "Hmm, this is such and such. You wanted to go horseback riding, but they wouldn't let you on the horse because you exceeded their weight. Are you horseback riding?" And I actually had a patient like this, and she was like, "I actually am. I started in March. <laughs> so <correct. laughs> Good for her. Yes, exactly. So you know, we tailor the operations, like I mentioned earlier, to the specific patient and what their problems are, or what they've had in the past, or what they do, what their medications are, and so it helps us to figure out as a team the patient." And the surgeon, mm-hmm. what the best operation would be for that particular patient. And so I, I think that's that's the best way to prepare for the journey that is bariatric surgery.
0: I was gonna say it really does sound like a journey and a process, but very much worth it in the end. How it long really does it is. how long does it typically take to get from that first visit to
1: the surgery and beyond when you start to see the weight loss? So the journey can vary again, from patient to patient. It really depends on the contract that the patients have with their insurance companies. Mm -hmm. For patients who um, have some plans, they could go with no time limit at all. You know, we just make sure that they're clinically stable, that they're on appropriate medications, that they're Whatever medical problems are controlled, that they've been tested for sleep apnea, if that's needed, if they needed a medical clearance, like a cardiac clearance or pulmonary clearance for heart or lung problems, that they are clinically ready. But their insurance company says there's no time. Just, you know, submit the information. And, of course, they have to go through the program Mm -hmm. because we always want education for the patients because an educated patient has good outcomes. Right. And so they would go through the program of bariatric dietitian counseling in order to have dietary changes, behavioral modification or an evaluation by the mental health team, because all insurance companies require mental health clearance as well. So we can make sure patients can take care of themselves. And lastly, meetings with exercise physiologists who show our patients the appropriate exercises to do for them. Some patients are wheelchair bound, some people are doing high intensity, you know, fitness. And so meeting with the exercise physiologist gives us a chance as well to evaluate where they are in terms of their exercise. And then they understand the importance of each of these three things as it leads to their great outcomes. Because surgery is just a tool, It is definitely not magic. It is not something I do and then poof, the person comes out and, Mm -hmm. you know, they've lost 60% of their excess body weight. They must use their operation in concert with the other things that I mentioned, meaning Behavior modification, dietary changes, exercise in order to get the outcomes and be successful with their weight loss surgery. Got it. So I think I went a little bit off of your talk. No, you're fine.
0: No, it's, it's a journey and, and people have to really commit to it. Um, does that sometimes serve as a barrier for people is just not understanding the journey or, or thinking it's going to take too long?
1: I think sometimes it does. You know, when people have been suffering from a disease process that has truly affected their lives on a daily basis and are not in And the company of people who understand what they're going through regularly, they sometimes just want it now. Mm -hmm. And with insurance companies, it can take anywhere from no timeline to six months, which is kind of average, to 12 months, um, which some of the more inane policies (laughs) have. And so when they come and they find out, well, I got to see you for six months, meaning seven visits... Oh, that's so long. But what they, what they don't realize is that time goes quickly. And during that time, they're getting education. They're getting used to what they have to do after they've had their weight loss surgery. Even before they had their weight loss surgery, they're getting an understanding of what it means to count calories. Look at how much protein, carbohydrates, fats they're supposed to get in daily. You know, they're starting to have um, an idea of do they emotionally eat? How do they change that? What should they change it to? What are other outlets, right? They're starting to even get educated on I was doing exercise and every time I exercised, I hurt my back and I hurt my ankle that I wouldn't be able to exercise for two months and then I'd try to exercise again. They start to get an idea of what exercise is right for me. Hey, I've lost 10 pounds. It's a little bit easier to do this one or that one. And then guess how they feel after they lost a hundred pounds after surgery. Well, I can tell you.
0: <laughs> it sounds so, like it's a like a lifetime, um, you know, journey as opposed to is. like a one year recovery, two year recovery. You know, and it I think absolutely that is. frontline education and that follow ups definitely help in choosing that life, you know, of uh, that journey, and then ensure that they follow that journey going
1: forward. Absolutely, it absolutely. As I tell all the patients, you know, once we embark on this travel together, we are paired for life. So, you know, I'm going to see you at one week out, three weeks out, three months, six months, nine months, a year, and every year after that. So don't try to disappear. I will send the cops to your door. <laughs> <laughs> you are mine. Your, your, your pouch is ours. So, you know, they have to follow up. You want to make sure that their vitamins and mineral levels are good. Their labs look okay if they're having any troubles. Most people, they don't want to follow because they're feeling great, right? Yeah. they lost 100 pounds. They're feeling Good. out and about. They're not concerned with me, but then they know, they remember the speech from preoperatively. I will find you. <laughs> so so many people do follow up and that always feels good because it feels good when people, you know, I've been invited to weddings. I've been, I've actually gone to quite a few. I've been invited to baby showers. I have a few on my Instagram of people who had, you know, really, really decreased fertility because of their weight, because we know that that's associated with obesity. And then once they've lost weight, now they're having babies. Some people have asked me to be in the delivery room, and I always decline that one. (laughs) Um, But I go to the baby showers, you know, I go to the weddings as much as I can, um, because it feels good. And then when you do generations of people, that also feels good, you know, because some people, their families don't want them to have it, and then they lead by example. So I've done a grandmother, then I did her grandson, and then I did... Her daughter, who was the son's mother, Mm -hmm. um, because I think they realized that over time, after they had their weight loss surgery and lost their weight, that the quality of life improved and that it was safe and that they felt they felt good about it afterwards so it's a it became a family affair and that happens often i do a lot of husbands and wives and mothers and daughters and it always feels good it always feels good to see the patient do well and that's why the journey is important to me as well because then i get to see you know a little bit of selfishness i get to see how the patient is doing afterwards yeah which always feels good
0: yeah so before we wrap up are there any myths that you want to dispel here about bariatric surgery i've heard you say I've heard you address already a couple of them. You know, it, it's a safe option. It's better than staying obese in in a lot of cases. So, are there any other ones that you want to dispel, or even that it's the easy way out? Like it's not. Right, I know we spoke right. about the stigma earlier. Yeah, the stigma. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are there any Absolutely. others that we want to that you want to address before we sign off?
1: I think that I think we've hit on all of the major myths about bariatric surgery. You know, less than 5% of patients who qualify for bariatric surgery in the United States got weight loss surgery last year. And that's sad because it's an option that people don't know about to help improve or resolve their medical problems. They think they just have to live with these medical problems and live with the quality of life that they have. It doesn't seem right that it exists and that there are barriers to it or barriers to access So, you know, in terms of myths, I would say that that bariatric surgery is not something that you should do if you don't think that your weight is too high. You don't have any medical problems. I would say that it's it's something that people should know about. You always have a choice um, on what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. But for people who want an improved quality of life, uh, longer life expectancy and to improve their health. Bariatric surgery is definitely an option that they should seriously consider.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Cook, for sharing this important information with us today. Thank you for for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you having me here today. Thank you. Nimit, thank you as always. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. And for our listeners, remember to hit um, follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can get our updated episodes. And thank you, everybody. And be well. Have
1: a great one.